The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Hello, welcome to Engaging Truth. I'm Bill Pruitt, your host for this program. The topic of discussion for today will be capital punishment as it relates to the church and scripture. And our guest today is uniquely qualified to address this topic. We're joined by the Reverend Tim Carter, who currently serves as Associate Pastor and Director of Life Care at St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Columbus, Indiana. But prior to entering the ministry, Tim was a prison guard in the state of Texas criminal justice system and served as part of the execution team at the Maximum Security Facility in Huntsville, Texas, and is the author of a wonderful book titled The Executioner's Redemption. Tim, welcome back to Engaging Truth. It's again good to have you as our guest there on the Engaging Truth microphone. Thank you for having me, Bill. Glad to be here. If you would, Tim, give our listeners a little bit of background information about your journey from prison guard to pastor. And I think uh, if they hear that, they'll they'll see why we say that you're uniquely uniquely qualified to talk uh, on this capital punishment topic. Okay, Bill. Um, yes, sir. I was uh, I was a student at Sam Houston State University back in 1974, and uh, I ended up going to work for the state penitentiary. Uh, to help earn my way through college uh, and uh, became a prison guard back then. Uh, and I ended up staying, uh, working with the prison system for 21 years. Uh, over the course of that career, um, I started off as a prison guard working the gun towers, and then I worked the cell blocks. Um, and then uh, I worked various different assignments. And then um, the prison started promoting me, and so I got my degree in criminal justice and stayed with that career uh, for those 21 years. And the prison started promoting me for some interesting reasons, and that is because uh, back in the 70s, for sure, um, that was before there was any reform movements uh, against uh, prison uh, brutality and all that, and uh, that era of the prison back then was extremely violent and very bloody. Um, and <clears throat> I, Bill, was not a Christian. I was not a believer in that period of my life. And so uh, without any influence of that nature to guide me uh, in the middle of surrounded by an extremely violent um, surroundings, I, uh, I became a product of that environment. And I became an extremely violent person. And um, so, again, with that type of a, um, I wanted to be a part of the brotherhood. I wanted to not only fit in, but I wanted to be a very valuable asset to my team. Uh, and uh, and I just became uh, a product of that environment, um, which is, um, it's uh, not something I'm super proud of today. Um, but... Um, I uh, eventually became a believer in Christ, and I eventually started uh, reading God's Word for the first time in my life and trying to follow God's Word. 
while working in the state penitentiary. And um, in the middle of that, that was some interesting transitions. We know as Christians that um, that justification uh, is immediate. It happens in an instant and is no work of our own. It's the work of the Lord. We just receive his grace. But sanctification is it takes a lifetime. And my sanctification journey while being a prison guard was a long and ugly and still continuing, obviously. But uh, back then, I went from fighting uh, every day uh, and fighting pretty brutally uh, to fighting on my knees more instead of fighting uh, uh, physically. Uh, but that was slow. It was so slow that um, at one point in my career, I uh, went and spent some time with um, Dr. George Beto, uh, who is was a criminal justice professor at that time at Sam Houston State. And um, Dr. Beto was, um, he was a Lutheran pastor and president of some Concordia, uh, Simon, uh, Concordia universities. And, uh, and, but at that time he was a criminal justice professor. And I went and asked Dr. Beto, hi, how do you do this? How do you be a Christian and maintain order and control inside the state penitentiary? I, I don't think it can be done, but I'm told you are a believer. And is this possible? And at that time, Bill, uh, Dr. Beto quoted a scripture to me, and he said, uh, Matthew 10, 16, that Jesus says, in this world, I send you out as a sheep among wolves, and you must be as shrewd as a serpent, yet as gentle as a dove. He said, at that time, I was Captain Carter. He said, you, Captain Carter, you're fantastic at being shrewd as a serpent. You're horrible at being gentle as a dove. And uh, he said, you need to go back and uh, read God's word over and over again for the rest of your life. But this time you need a balance of law and gospel, not just law. He said, you see yourself as a uh, an agent of God's wrath to punish uh, the evil inmates. And he said, you need to uh, see yourself needing God's grace every bit as much as those inmates that you hate. And so Dr. Beto was right. Uh, my attitude at that point was I did see the inmates as the enemy. I did. Uh, literally hate the inmates, and I saw every day as a war against the inmates, which was a very violent war. But my heart changed and became uh, a heart of grace and mercy. And uh, and uh, so eventually, by the time I retired from that career, Bill, I uh, I was ready to go into seminary. And I did go into seminary, and now I'm a pastor of care and compassion of all things, uh, where I had none of that in my first many years. And I guess the main thing that the listeners want my want to know is that um, in the last half of my career, one of those promotions, I guess you could say, was um, as a judge over our internal court system, I um, became a part of the uh, Capital Punishment Execution Squad. I was on the death squad and I participated in over 150 in death row inmate executions. So I was hands-on uh, over 150 inmate executions. And, and so um uh, my journey, I guess you could sum, sum it up, uh, Bill, is that I went from uh, uh, seeing seeing a lot of people die in front of me regularly uh, in prison to eventually making a lot of people die uh, in prison. And now in this phase of my life, uh, as a care and compassion ministry, I've done over a thousand funerals easy, and now I help people die. I'm at people's bedside constantly now, uh, 
helping them die in Christ. And so uh, if that's a kind of an introductory summary that I spent most of my life in the state penitentiary, uh, very violent, and now I'm uh, I'm an LCMS uh, Lutheran pastor that's uh, that's helping people to be to know Christ and to follow Christ. Well, that's Tim. Your story is always uh, fascinating to me every time I hear it, and uh, and the book the book is wonderful. Uh, how can people get get the book if they need to get it? I I know it's available on Amazon. Is it available other places as well? Uh, cph.org, Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. And uh, you can go in there and you can type in cph.org and type in uh, books uh, and type in the title of the book, The Executioner's Redemption. Uh, and my author name is Reverend Timothy R. Carter. Reverend Timothy R. Carter, The Executioner's Redemption at cph.org. Fantastic book. And I, I, I recommend it to anybody who's uh, who has questions about this kind of there's there's there are other stories in there that are absolutely fascinating, Tim, about uh, some of the counseling you did uh, for not only death row inmates, but the uh, their families and the families of victims. And uh, and some of those stories are just uh, remarkable as well. Um, the pet, one of the things that you mentioned is that. The, the change and the reform in the in the criminal justice system over the past several years. And I think along with that, we've seen um, almost a roller coaster ride on public perceptions and acceptance of the death penalty um, from the late 60s, early 70s, uh, sort of took an up, upswing in the, in the 80s. And now it's back down to uh, um, over still over fifty percent uh, of of the people uh, support the death penalty, but it, it wavers some, and I think that probably follows uh, um, the lines of uh, overall relaxation of uh, of the law and religion in in our country. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, sir, Bill. Um... That's an interesting way you put that. And uh, and I, I watched that happen in the 21 years I was there, and I've watched it happen in the years since I've been gone and went to seminary and now been a pastor for quite a while. Um, and that is that <clears throat> public opinion about capital punishment does go up and down like a roller coaster. It changes. And it's caused by different... Um, things that happen in the culture. Uh, and the most interesting thing, Bill, that I saw is um, people would stay on death row, con condemned inmates would stay on death row for sometimes well over two decades before their execution date would come up. And at the time of an offense, the public was all into uh, supporting the victims and uh, some of the crimes were extremely heinous uh, and brutal and ugly. And um, and the inmates um, many times would be, you know, openly uh, just hateful and unremorseful and even proud of uh, the crimes that they committed. And so I've watched so many times the public be kind of uh, angry at the offender, the predator, 
and being supportive of the victims, uh, the parents that had lost their children and the spouses that had lost their spouse. And, uh, and so they were, I, I've seen a million times or a lot of times uh, that the public is so supportive of the conviction and the sentence of the inmate that is so uh, brutally predatory upon free society. Uh, but then that same inmate, five, 10, 15, 20 years later, I've seen the public, um, I've seen the public switch and become um, kind of, not kind of, but extremely um, defending the poor inmate sitting on death row and forgetting all about the victims uh, whose lives were torn apart and brutally uh, destroyed by the uh, selfless, uh, you know, acts of this uh, offender, this predator. And so I've literally seen it many, many, many times. Is by the time it's execution time, the, the public is saying, please have mercy on and save uh, the offender. And they act like that the family uh, of the inmate that was murdered, that they are the ones that the public is against that family for wanting some kind of a closure or justice. And so I've seen that individually with individual inmates uh, many, many, many times, and I've seen it with the public. And Bill, maybe a good example I can give is um, right now, this thing that's going on between Israel and Hamas and all that stuff. In the beginning, the whole world was furious at Hamas because Israel was being peaceful and normal. And then Hamas, uh, without warning, launched uh, all these thousands of missiles and uh, killed a lot of people and uh, took a lot of people hostage. And all of this, you know, similar to the surprise attack on uh, Pearl Harbor, it just, it was a surprise on Israel and the whole world. And the world was against Hamas and they were against the Palestinians. But with every week that went by, uh, and ever since then, with every week and every month that goes by, the world has changed. And now they're for Palestine and against Israel, thinking that Israel is doing a horrible thing by trying to protect their people with a counterattack against uh, Hamas. And so it's, it's really a very, very similar thing. Same thing happened in uh, 2009 uh, you know, September 1st, 2001. Uh, 9-11, uh, people were all mad at uh, Osama bin Laden and the people that, you know, uh, caused all that death and destruction in the United States on that day. But uh, with every day and every week that went by, people were just saying things like, please leave Osama bin Laden alone and he'll leave us alone. And uh, we need peace. We don't need, you know, to have any police action. This, this is not a wrong that needs to be righted. There's no justice that needs to be pursued. We just need to forget about what happened on 9-11. So the same thing happens in the public right now. And um, and I even mentioned it in the book that I fully expect that over my lifetime that capital punishment will probably become illegal and then legal again and illegal and legal again, just based on the wavering opinions of the public. Let me take a quick break, uh, Tim, and talk a little bit about our ministry. Our Engaging Truth broadcasts are, are uh, 
presented by Evangelical Life Ministries, uh, a nonprofit organization in based in Cypress, Texas. All our financial support comes from listener donations and grants from charitable foundations, and our on-air staff serves in a purely voluntary capacity. To support our ministry um, or request a prayer, contact us at Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org. Back to our guest, uh, the Reverend Tim Carter, the author of uh, The Executioner's Redemption. Um, uh, Tim, you know, you mentioned um, the changing perceptions among people about whether pro or con for uh, for or against capital, capital, capital punishment. It, it's amazing to me. I, I look at a survey and about uh, about half the people in the United States actually believe um that uh, that almost all states allow capital punishment, and uh, while it's actually only twenty-seven of the fifty that actually still do that, um, and uh, it, it's pretty amazing to me that, that that people don't really understand or know exactly what's going on in the country about that. And a lot of a lot of denominations, church denominations, have varying stances on this as well. Uh, most of white evangelical Protestants in the United States, and that includes our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the Southern Baptist Convention, um, are, they allow capital punishment. They're proponents of capital punishment. And there's a, a certain scriptural basis for that. And, and I know you've, you've done some studies on that and done, done some talks about it as well. Um, it, I went back to see what our church, our denomination actually has most of the most of the people involved in evangelical life ministries or LCMS um, Lutherans. And um, the document uh, uh, that I, that they that they cited was was written in turbulent times similar to ours back at back in 1968. And it it really talks about um, the relationship between government and church and it, it, it's told something that I think was really profound. It tells us that God has created government as an interim structure to direct and regulate political relationships among men during that interval between man's fall and the second coming, Christ's return. And the government has been endowed with, A, a task of rewarding the good citizen, and B, punishing the evildoer. And to me, that I think really crystallizes what government is intended to do and how it's supposed to act. And I'd just like for your your reflections on that. Uh, I agree completely with our denomination's stand on that. And that is that um, God's righteousness, a big deal in our Lutheran LCMS denominational doctrine is a balance of law and gospel. And so uh, that is critical in uh, reading, interpreting, and applying scripture. And a balance of law and gospel means that if we, Lutherans or Americans or whoever, if we are super into law and uh, at the neglect of mercy uh, 
and compassion, we are out of balance. At the same time, if we are super into mercy and compassion at the expense of and the neglect of uh, law, we are in a dangerous and irresponsible imbalance. And so um, our uh, denominational doctrine uh, does quote a lot of scripture, Matthew 6, 33, God's righteousness includes his justice. And so uh, both mercy and justice are both um, kind of two sides of the same coin, two sides of the same goal of the word of God and the law and gospel of God. And that is God wants mercy and justice. And um, God's law is a way that God uses to drive us back to Christ and to give us uh, a curb uh, to keep us out of the ditch. And so, uh, um, yes, Bill, I agree entirely with our doctrinal uh, guidance on that. And I noticed that at one point, one of your one of the, the citations that you've used before in a previous interview was was Romans thirteen and uh, and talking about the uh, uh, the government not yielding the sword uh, uh, in vain. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, you bet, you bet. Um, the The Word of God does tell us, and that's where we get our uh, doctrinal uh, viewpoint and our stance. Is, um, is that God does say, uh, matter of fact, I've got it in front of me right now, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except uh, from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists those authorities resists God and, he res and resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror uh, to good conduct, but to bad. Uh, would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Well, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for that government official does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, uh, an agent of God's wrath to the wrongdoer. Now, that can be carried to the extreme good or bad. But if a balance of law and gospel, it is a great, great um thing i at one point carried it to the extreme bad i considered myself an agent of god's wrath um uh, and uh but we need to um let god do what god does and he ordains those who restrain evil and protect his people uh, at the same time we need to love the most unlovable people on earth and have compassion and mercy Tim, thank you very much for those wonderful words. And uh, we have about a, a little over a minute left. I wonder if you could uh, just take a minute and uh, and say a prayer for us and and take us out that way. Again, Tim Carter is our guest, author of the uh, Executioner's, Executioner's Redemption, uh, available um, uh, through Concordia uh, Press. So uh, please uh, pray for us, uh, Tim. Let's do it. Father, Father, thank you. Uh, that we are your children, that you are a father, and that we are not alone. We have you. We have your word. Father, help us to follow Christ. Help us to walk in our baptism. Help us to love as you love, serve as you served, forgive as you have forgiven. And also, Father, help us to uh, respect and be guided by your law. Help us to leave uh, vengeance and anger and hate uh, 
uh, aside and let vengeance be yours, not ours. At the same time, Father, uh, help us to uh, submit to those that you want us to submit to, starting with you and all the authorities that you have set in place so that uh, evil will be restrained and people will have the freedom to follow you and follow Christ. We ask you for all this and we trust you for all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim, thank you very much. And thank you for joining us on this uh, Engaging Truth broadcast. Come back and see us next week. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.